0: This episode of Your Stories is brought to you by Jackbox Games. Get five hilarious party games in the Jackbox Party Pack from the creators of You Don't Know Jack, now on Xbox One, PS3, PS4, Steam, and more. Go to jackboxgames.com for more info.
1: Your Stories is a wonderful opportunity to share all the highs and lows of being a
2: nerd. You know that hobby you have that you don't talk to anyone about?
0: Hi, everybody. My name is Eric Garneau, and this is part one of the Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories May 2015 podcast, featuring the theme, Press Start, to compliment our special guest for the month, Arcade Brewery. Uh, if you don't know who they are, Arcade Brewery makes awesome, nerdy-inspired beers right here in Chicago, and they were kind enough to bring their drinks and themselves to our recording last month for a really, really great episode. Uh, this week, you'll hear Arcade co-owner and brewer, Chris Torrey, as well as a bunch of other fantastic local creative folks like Jeremy Connie, Vanessa Willilco, Orion Cooling, Lily B., and Katie Johnston-Smith, plus music from me, Dwight Hassler, and Claire Friedman. Uh, If you like what you're hearing... Uh, you should definitely come check out one of our live recordings. Uh, the next one, as it happens, is Sunday, May 17th, at the Sum Office Theater, 1917 North Elston in Chicago. It starts at 7 p.m., and as always, it is totally free to attend. If you want more info, see our Facebook event or website, Uh As usual, we also want to extend a thank you to our sponsors for the episode, Jackbox Games, as well as the Chicago Podcast Co-op for the support there. Please check out other CPC shows, uh, as well as our fine sponsors, of course. Uh, those other shows happen to include other Nerdlogs podcasts, like Talking Games and MBSing with Mary Beth Smith, which just recorded its 100th episode last night uh, at the Some Office Theater. I was there. It was super great. And that will be out Wednesday for those of you who like good things. Uh, finally, of course, thank you always for listening. You're all great. Please enjoy the show. The theme tonight is Press Start. That was Dwight's idea uh, because it kind of works with Arcade Brewery, you know? So, Dwight, do you want to explain the songs that we're going to do? What they're kind of, what the reason behind them is? Not special. No.
2: Uh, it's just uh, songs that really
1: pressed start on these musicians' careers. Am I right? Am I right? Go on.
4: Oh what? Hey, what?
1: What? Okay, okay. Get a life.
4: <laughs>
0: Got a William <laughs> Chen up here. So, uh,. It's the song that you guys might have heard of, and you helped this band take it to number one. Yeah, I was going to say, hey, I, Casey. I don't think that's true, but anyway. You can help sing if you want
2: Than our singing. That was
0: back when Radiohead actually wrote songs instead of
3: I would love that song. <laughs> 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 we have some current day Radiohead fans in there. I country. love
0: Radiohead.
3: Full <laughs> <Whole laughs> catalog.
0: So uh this is from probably about the same era. Maybe yeah. a little earlier. It's
3: great because I love uh I love this song. In a way that fits its name. Uh, and my voice cracked at the top of that other song, and if it cracks during this one, it doesn't matter.
4: Hey, yeah. Hey, yeah.
3: Hey, yeah. Hey, Hey, Oh, man. On the Day. It's a black fly And your Chardonnay It's a death row part in two minutes to live isn't it ironic? Don't you think? It's like rain. I know what I am,
4: yeah. It's a free world oh, When you're already paid It's a
3: The traffic jam when you're already late no, no smoking no. sign on your cigarette break It's like ten thousand spoons and all you need is a knife it's meeting the man of my dreams and then meeting his beautiful wife isn't <laughs> 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 it ironic don't you? A little too yeah, i like it like is. a free ride. helping you out, helping you out.
0: The party line on that song, the thing everyone likes to say is like, oh, it's not actually ironic, it's just unfortunate. And like mostly that's true, but I I do want to defend Alanis for this one line. It's like 10,000 spoons when all you need is a knife. The definition of irony is something that is the opposite of what is expected. So like if you're at a restaurant, maybe that's not ironic. But like if you're at somebody's home and you just need a spoon and you open up their utensil drawer and (laughs) there's... 10,000 spoons instead of that knife that you need? Like, that's a little ironic. Why the fuck you everyone have 10,000 spoons? What the fuck is wrong with that person?
3: And my argument is that it only falls under the definition of ironic is if because if you had a 10,000 utensil limit, and because you have 10,000 spoons, but Who has 10,000
0: utensils,
2: period? No
3: exactly! Right 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 10,000
2: utensils in my house.
0: Anyway, listen guys, we can talk about this all night, and we will <laughs> next
2: month. Welcome to the grammar post. Next month's next month's story theme is ironic. Uh, don't you think?
0: Anyway, but we have a bunch of storytellers tonight who don't want to hear us talk about songs from 22 years ago. They want to share their own stories. And the first of those people is my good friend, Mr. Jeremy Connor. Jeremy Connor!
5: Before you start weighing on your opinions on ironic. Uh, I w- had my definition of ironic uh, defined by that whole uh, argument, in which uh, me as a kid really didn't like conflict, so I was like, great, I don't care about irony. I, uh, you, guys, you guys take care of it. I thought it was a song. Uh, so uh, when I was in high school, I... Really was excited to make friends. I wasn't any good at it. Uh, But I was really excited to make friends and figure out how to do this whole dating girls thing. Not good at it, mind you, but I was excited. And I remember a particular budding friendship that could have been, uh, could have turned into uh, a budding romance when I was in high school that I was really uh, interested and excited to be a part of. It was with this girl named uh, Aurelia, because I can't remember her name, (laughs) and I wanted to pick something fancy. (laughs) So uh, Aurelia and I had met in high school. We were both sophomores, and she had just moved to town. And I grew up in a small town, so when someone moved to town, Uh, That was a a pretty significant deal. That was a a marker. You noticed it. And I remember talking to her in in the hallways every now and then and, uh, like, running into her when I was returning home from lunch because we could go off campus and be cool. And uh, even one time uh, she offered, and I got a ride home uh, from her, which, when you don't have a car, uh, is a pretty big deal, even in a small town. I was really excited uh, of what all the things that this could mean, Uh, sharing a ride home with this newfound friend and possible love interest. Uh, That really turned on its head when I found out the next day that she thought I was stalking her. Uh, In my talk today, my story today, is all about how when you press start, you expect something to boot up and be presented to you. In this case, I expected a friendship to boot up uh, just how I'd expect a friendship to go And it did not So Aurelia's friend the next day <clears throat> So in Context is everything right uh, And going back When I heard that uh, She thought I was stalking her From her friend And that she didn't want me to talk to her at all Anymore In a small town in high school So pretty, pretty tight uh, circumstances uh, I was mortified. I was a nice kid, way too nice uh, in in every way just and for someone to say that I could be capable of this, I was just like, Oh my God, what the hell happened so naturally, I go through everything and like all the context clues are on the other side that Conversation in a hallway. It wasn't between two you know, awkward high school kids. One that was just nervous and excited, and seeing where things goes. And with now with someone with someone that was on their guard and pos- and afraid. And that me meeting, just happening to run into someone, run into her after lunch, wasn't a chance circumstance that I saw her and caught up and had a conversation with her. She probably thought I had. Like, looked and hid and waited until she had come and I could corner her into a conversation. And that ride home, I don't remember how I got the idea that she was going to give me a ride home from her mom and her, but I clearly was incorrect. I had probably assumed something either made an offer or thought an offer was on the table and just assumed that she was going to give me a ride home. But I do remember getting into the car. I don't actually remember if we actually got a ride home or if it just went down right there in the car, that, no, I'm not giving you a ride home, and I don't know how you got to that assumption. But I do remember getting into the car and seeing her face just be like... (laughs) What is going on? What, oh. what is this? And can you imagine if you had not offered someone a ride home, if they just got in your car? I just got in, and I was just like, hey, cool, thanks. Oh. And just to see the look on her face and see that like that was not the case. I was not supposed to get a ride home that day. Uh, and then having to deal with that and try to figure out what, what went wrong. It turns out she had had uh, a previous, when she moved, she had had a previous experience with someone that had uh, stalked her, and so this was pretty fresh on her mind. Regardless, <laughs> this was my first experience in finding out that it doesn't really matter uh, whether or not you have the best of intentions, whether or not you're right or wrong, I came from a childhood where I very much valued being smart and bringing that to a friendship and being right. And this was my first time realizing that that doesn't always, and now I realize it frequently doesn't matter. What matters is context and understanding someone else's point of view. Thank you, guys. Thank you,
1: Jeremy.
0: Not really comfortable, but as as a way of transitioning, uh, one time I think I took a dude's quesadilla because I thought he was offering it to me, and he totally wasn't. And uh, I was trying out to be—I was trying to be in the band that this kid was in at the time, so my deal was pretty much sealed at that point. You don't really want to be in a band with someone who steals your quesadillas. I think it's not good. See, me, Dwight, and Claire—we understand each other. No one, no one touches. Do you know what's my quesadilla? <laughs> Aww. Aww. Now I feel like a bad friend. Anyway. So, it was mentioned a couple times. We have Arcade Brewery in the house tonight. That's super great. I hope you all had a chance to try the drink that they are so graciously serving up in the lobby. Because it is really, really good. The double time. Uh, I dug it. We have three speakers from Arcade tonight. The first of them, I asked this gentleman's last name pronunciation like ten minutes ago. And I already forgot it. So, please help me out, Mr. Chris. Tori. 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 <laughs>
1: Thanks, thanks for having us out today, guys. Appreciate it. So, uh, since it's about, uh, you know, how, like, press start tonight, right? So I was thinking, you know, how, how do I want to kind of think about, like, how we started Arcade, even, and it actually started, Lance and I were bandmates, and before operating and running uh, a brewery, I was actually an artist in town, um, kind of showing work at galleries, museums, and stuff like that, and... So one of my friends actually hooked Lance and I up together. Um, he's like, I know this guy.
5: He, uh,
1: he's looking for a keyboardist for his band. And uh, would you want to do it? So me, uh, never being in a band, not really playing the keyboards, or, you know, having a little musically inclined said, sure, love to meet him. Let's sit down and have a conversation about getting this band started. So, so Lance and I met up. And uh, we kind of hit it off uh, right from the get-go. Um, he's like, why don't you come down to the practice space, and we'll, uh, you know, we'll try you out for a night. So I get down there, and it's like, I, you know, I don't know how to jump in. So like, What are we supposed to be doing here? Now granted, this is like a noise punk performance art band, so when I walked into the space you know, Lance was telling me about how we're going to play a song about, like, sudden infant, infant death syndrome, so I was like, alright, I'm going to save space here, I'm going to save space here, so, uh, but we hit it off, and, and the thing was, that like, we learned, uh, very early on that, you know, we, we could be very, uh, creative with one another, and we could, we could kind of bounce ideas off of one another, too. So we practiced, uh, together, it was Lance and I and, and a drummer, Matt, and, uh, so we finally were going to have our first show together, and so we were a little bit different. We would have, uh, you know, I would make uh, anaglyphic videos, so they're like the three D ones, and so we'd hand out three D glasses to everybody coming in uh, for the show, so they could put on three D glasses. And you know, I didn't really know what I was doing, so it just kind of made like crazy shapes and stuff in people's uh, people's eyes when they were looking at it. And uh, we'd face, we'd got paint these big shark teeth on our mouths, and we all wore three-piece suits and bowler hats, and basically it was just to make a ton of noise. Um, at one point, we even hired a burlesque dancer up who was, like, stripped down to, like, metal bra and panties, and were, like, she was, like, grinding sparks everywhere. So, very, very performative. So, the first night we had this show, um, you know, the show went really well, um, it was really loud, and then we, uh, we were leaving, and so Lance and Matt had jumped into the van And uh, we're driving down the street to where uh, Lance was working at the time, or the building he was working at at the time. And I was just carrying some stuff. So as I'm walking down the street, I see the van sitting at a red light. And this taxi comes screaming down the street and just plows right into the rear end of them. And so I start running. Now, granted, we all... Are still in full costume so this cab driver jumps out of the car and he's ready to like scream until two dudes in bowler caps with shark's teeth painted on their faces come out and start walking towards
2: him
1: and then i yell hey and the old man turns around and there's another guy, a short scene, and a bowler cap, running towards him. Now at this point, the three guys in the back seat said, fuck it, man, you're on your own. And they ran down the street. They just jumped out of the cab and ran out of there. The guy jumped into his cab and took off. Meanwhile, all we were trying to do was get his insurance information. Um, but that, right there, that was probably the start to a very good friendship and partnership. And uh, we've worked really, really great ever since. So thanks for listening.
0: I wish we, had, we all had shark's teeth. That's something. Maybe next one. I like, I like the aesthetics of that. Uh, it's awesome to finally be doing something with you guys. I know we've been, uh, talking for a while and man, this is cool. Seriously, drink that beer. Uh, we're gonna have more speakers from Arcade throughout the night, but right now I'd like to bring up the, the sole proprietor of uh, Callie Butterfly, uh, chainmail jewelry. She does some amazing stuff that hopefully she can show you at some point. This is Vanessa Wilco.
6: When I saw that the theme was press start, I immediately thought of video games because I am hopelessly addicted to video games. Uh, My mom got me an NES when I was five or six and I've been playing compulsively ever since. Uh, I used to play Tetris and Dr. Mario until my eyes hurt, and it just felt, like, weird. Um, I've poured countless hours into Final Fantasy VI, seven, VII, and eight. Final Fantasy eight, by the way, if you max out the timer at 99 hours and 59 minutes, the clock turns red. To shame you. <laughs> <laughs> but I had to find all the triple triad cards, so I did not care. <laughs> and I, I really believe that video games helped hone my approach to life. Because in life, I know what I want, I go after what I want, and I get what I want. And in video games, I don't just play video games. I collect every item, I find every secret, I kill every enemy, especially the optional super difficult bosses. (laughs) I figure out what the system is, and I gain the system, and if I can break the game, even better. And so this like ethos of mastery was really useful when I started my own business five and a half years ago which is also when I went cold turkey off of video games. <laughs> um, and when I got started, I made chainmail for a living, mostly jewelry, but also armor and clothing for stage and film. And, uh, you know, I graduated with a degree in sociology, which I have used approximately not at all. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, developing this identity as an artist, I like, I had to do something. So I entered, you know, every competition I thought I was remotely qualified for. I applied to every show that I, uh, an exhibition I heard of, and I also submitted my work to any publication that was looking for submissions. And you know, after a year of hammering away at this, like I won some awards, I got into some really good art fairs and I had a list of publications that helped propel me through over the past several years. Um, but last year I had this really serious crisis of faith. Uh, I did a string of financially not great art fairs. I then did not get juried into any of the best art fairs I had done in previous years. and. Also, uh, several people, including a former colleague of mine, started making jewelry that looked a lot like mine. Uh, yes, thank you. Um, and uh, the experience was really gutting, you know? Like I figured out the system, I had gained the system, and it wasn't working anymore. And I didn't know how to make it work. Um, and I basically convinced myself that maybe I'm not supposed to be making chain meal anymore. Um, and I even went so far as to email my entire newsletter and tell them that I wasn't going to be doing art fairs anymore. And if they wanted to see me, you know, I had two more on the horizon. And then I had some other venture planned, but you know, I wasn't as excited. And what was going to be the last art fair I was ever going to do was the one of a kind show in December. And it turned out to be one of the best art fairs I've ever done. And it was incredible because I had this, like, such an outpouring of support and love. Not just from friends who came out to, you know, give me food and water over the weekend, but, uh, like all these customers from previous years who told me that they, you know, wore the jewelry all the time and they really loved it and they got compliments on it. And just knowing that these little pieces of me were out in the world, well loved. And in the middle of the day on Saturday of this four day art fair, it was eight hours and I was on my feet selling jewelry, making jewelry because I thought it was quitting so I didn't have enough inventory, (laughs) and then selling that. And, like, just in this flow of, like, feeling connected to everything. Mm -hmm. And it was like this voice spoke to me and said, if you quit now, she wins. Everyone who copies you, everyone who ever told you you couldn't do it, they win. And in that moment, I decided there was no way I was going to let anyone beat me. You know, when I play video games... And I get to a really difficult boss, and there's a full party wipe. I don't just, like, put down the controller and stop playing the game. I grind levels, I find items, I gear up, and I kill the boss. I didn't get to the end of Final Fantasy VI to not kill Kefka in the tower. I didn't get to level 80 in Skyrim to not kill the Ebony Warrior at the last vigil. And I sure as hell didn't spend five years of my life building something that matters more to me than anything in the universe to walk away. So, buoyed by what turned into this incredible December... Uh, I made some tweaks and changes to my business. And everything's magical again. And I'm making things happen again. And it feels really good. Um, and I also have time for video games again, which is great. So uh, if any of you ever want to know how to power level your smithing skill in Skyrim, just come talk to me. Because uh, I like making jewelry and armor in-game as much as I do. Operating.
0: Thank you, Vanessa. It's been said before and it will be said again. Final Fantasy VI is the superior Final Fantasy. I don't like to be political on this podcast, but I will take a stand there. It's so bad. All right. Next gentleman coming to the stage is a member of the production Max Sif, a combination of Star Wars and Macbeth that opens, I believe, April 30th at the Pendulum Theater. Did I get that right? Yep. Orion Cooling. Yeah!
2: So I brought some props. This is my little buddy. Um, I'm holding the 1980 Luke Skywalker action figure, and now you're holding him. Pass him around. Um, as you pass him around, please know how well-loved he is. You see, um, when I was a little boy, my father worked three jobs, and a cop was two of those jobs that he worked, and a mover was another, and I never saw him. Um, he was a good man. He was a good man with a family to feed, and we were, we were broke guys. We were so poor we couldn't afford the O or the R we were just Poe. And uh, <laughs> we were like, we wouldn't survive without like hunting and like wick and like what the food uh, donated from the church was brought to us, right? Um, so these tokens, these action figures, were uh, expensive, man. They came from Toys R Us, which is like whoa, right? If it wasn't a thrift store, we probably weren't going there, you know. And Dad would come home. after not seeing him for a. Uh, Literally, a couple days, right? And he'd put one of those boxes down next to me. And he'd look at me and just apology all over his face, but no words with the apology. But that was kind of okay, because I loved Star Wars with a passion, and I still do. And the roar of a wampa is a horrific thing. <laughs> and you see, it was a cold winter's morning, it was so cold that... That little five-year-old version of me, right? That was so light that I could walk across the crust of the snow, and I heard the wampas roaring outside. And we had a rule. We lived out in the country. The rule was you had to be back by dark. That's it. That's the kind of childhood I had. Like, <laughs> see you then. Right? And um, we would, and that was okay with me. Like we were, we were hunters and we were trappers and we were in the North Woods, and that was okay. You know, it was not. It wasn't cruel. It was fun. Because you went out and invented your own life and your own games and your own adventures. And I had some wampas to kill. Because my dad had given me, had given me a, a lightsaber. And wow. when I was a kid, lightsabers weren't the amazing lightsabers we use right now in our production of Mixed Sith, which are like between $200 and $700 per blade, right? Yeah. They're incredible. Plug ultra sabers. Well done. <laughs> um, they were literally like like airplane landing cones. They didn't know. They didn't know how the flex extension. No, they were just, you had to imagine that. Like, you turn it on, and a little blue thing, you're like, that's it. All right. And it was cool because your sword fights were meant for imaginary people. You weren't sword fighting your buddies with these things because you could just get whacked by a flashlight, right? And, but that was fine because I hit that button and my imagination took care of the rest. And it was time to go kill some wampas. So I went outside. I'm all decked out. And there were, again, very few rules growing up. Um, let's see, what were the rules? You weren't allowed to watch Smurfs because um, Gargamel was satanic. Um, when Willow came out, that was against the rules, too, but I still watched Willow. But somehow Star Wars Force Magic was okay, right? Anyway, so the other rules were, be back by um, by Dark, right? And don't go near the rock quarry. Pretty simple. But that's where the wampas were. <laughs> they were in the rock quarry. So I... Right, set out, right? Crawling across the snow. Look, waiting any minute now for Obi-Wan Kenobi to show up and give me some indispensable advice, right? Just checking out. Didn't. Okay, sweet. Slid down to the rock quarry, shh, looking quite cool. And um, lit my lightsaber. Oof, you know, and away we went, fighting. Fighting all the wampas. Like 40, 50 wampas in there. There's a lot of wampas. And the screams of them as they died will still make me pride for, so proud the rest of my life. Wampa blood everywhere. Drenched in wampa blood. Or just sweat, because you're five years old and you've been fighting. I'm talking, I got there, I think, at like nine in the morning, and then the sun was going down. That's how much time. And you didn't stop, man. You don't stop when you're fighting wampas. And like, so, sun's going down. I'm like, gotta go home now. Okay, no problem. And I'm working myself up into, t- into a total sweat, right? I'm like, I have not eaten, okay? I'm just like, so, so tired. Time to go home. It's been a good day being a warrior. I went to the side of the rock quarry. It was like this. It was like just, okay, now when I was a kid, this rock quarry was probably like 100 feet deep. In real life, it was like 12, right? Yeah. But like, it was really big 12 feet, all right? And when you're only like three feet tall or whatever you were, that's, that's sizable. So I went to climb up, and all that lovely ice and snow had become just like, had melted and become like solid ice, right? And I couldn't get out. I was in a hole two miles away from my home. No one had any idea where I was and the sun was going down. And no one could hear me screaming and no one could hear me crying and no one could see the hot tears running down my face, right? I was straight up panicking for two reasons, right? One, it was cold. And I, I knew, my, my dad's a hunter and a trapper. I grew up in the woods that this is this is dangerous. And two, if my dad found me, I was going to get a whooping, all right? Like, this is, this is fearsome. So I, out of sheer desperation, take the hilt of my lightsaber, and I smash it into the crusty wall of the, of the rock quarry and make a little hole in the ice and snow. I look at that, and I put my fingers in there, and I go... <clears throat> and I put myself to here, and I grab it, and I go, boom! <laughs> and I put another here and I dig my fingers in there, and I get up, boom, and I do it again... I get to the top of this of this crevice, right, of this rock quarry, and the sun's going down, and I hear in my head mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 and I think I am a Jedi. Like my father before me. Years pass. Years pass and I'm thirty years old and I have made all the mistakes a man can make. I have done good things and I have done bad things. This is this is six years ago, and I have um, cut a swath through the United States um, built upon passion and impulse. And I have stepped on as many toes as I have helped people. And so I spent some time that year when I was turned thirty doing what I call the Great Apology Tour. Um, I went through three states finding people who I had treated horrifically. Uh, out of my drive and my passion, I had made, I had cost a lot of people um, sleep and rest, and it was unacceptable. And I had to realize that as I turned 30 that that had to change. That had to own honor my responsibility. That just doing what you wanted doesn't mean that was what what the community needs. Right? So I went through and I, and I found these people. And that same year I adapted a play. Um, and it's called McSith. And it's... I just thought it was really fun. I got paid by a homeschool group to teach Shakespeare to kids. So I'm like, we're going to do it for Star Wars. It's going to be great. And it became like this little scene became this really, really big thing. Now, I'm up in northern Michigan, and we're directing. Now, I'm directing this play that i would written at a regional theater up there. i got a cast of 30. We've got a fly system. We're, we're having so much fun. And when we're not listening to, um, it was like a lot of nine-ish males and then a lot of Shakespeare. And it was just a great time to be alive. And um, it was my 30th birthday. And I had ordered um, the Master uh, Replica lightsaber. Make your own lightsaber kits, right? They, don't, they not, You can still get them, but they're now they're collector's items. Back then, you just get them. Anyways, um, but I ordered two of them. Because I realized that there's a duality in us, right? And that I, I had to, one, strive for the light, but also accept the fact that I'm never going to be a hero in that way. I'm a Grey Jedi I'm in the Qui-Gon Jinn kind of realm, right? Jason Solo, before he goes all the way to the dark side. Um... <laughs> And then I was okay with that. I had to be okay with that. I, was, I had to be okay with the fact that I had impulses that were not necessarily heroic. And that might be all right. So I, so I took uh, the first kit down to an abandoned industrial dock. It's OR dock in Marquette, Michigan. And that was back when I was a punk and back when I was uh, in college and I was experimenting with dark magic and, and, and going through, like, my Wicca was not hardcore enough phase and I had to do some other things. I went down to where there was all these, all these pentagrams and whatnot and I took my black magic candles and I sat there at midnight. And I drew a circle of magic And I I made my Sith lightsaber Right? I popped that thing on smoked a clove cigarette Called a night Then That was the night before my birthday Right? The next day I went out to uh, Yeah, because the cloves were perfect for that moment (laughs) (laughs) So then I went out to uh, The next day My friend Um it has a beautiful place called Big Creek, and it was um, a place where I really began to find who I was. It's 90 acres of Northwood Beauty out there, and, and artesian spring wells, and, and huge trees. And they have a Druid Oak Circle they planted there 30 years ago. And I sat there in the interior of the Druid Oak Circle, and I drew a white magic spell around me. And I cast my runes, and I, I sat there and I waited. And I waited for the sun go, to go down, and I waited for the sun to cast through the trees. All these just incredible, like, ribbons of light bouncing off the trees. Just sat there and I kept, I, I do Tai Chi now, and I was working through a form. I sat down and it was time. Closed my eyes, grabbed the stuff. I was really proud that I closed my eyes. Closed my eyes, grabbed all the pieces. Put it together. Stood up. Pop hiss. Green light. Lightsaber. And I felt that that now middle aged man connected to the young man. And the, the exhilaration of carrying on that story from when the time you were 5 to the time you were 30. But it doesn't end there. Because now I'm 36. And I'm getting older. And I'm getting... My ambitions are getting bigger, not smaller. And my desire to to pursue um, the duality of, of, of the Jedi is still very much part of what I do. I, I teach kids for a living. I'm a role model. I love... Um, presenting a higher option for young men to strive towards. I ask them for it. I demand it, right? But I also like to well in the darkness. I love mixed sin. I like the horror of it. We don't make it a comedy. It's not a parody. It's not a farce. It's horrifically violent and very frightening. And that's okay, too. So now I get to be this version of Luke Skywalker. Now my hand's been cut off. I got some battle scars on me. Oh, no. It's okay. They're meant to be played with. That's why they're right there in front. (laughs) They're not collector's items. They're meant to be played with. All right? They're meant to be rough. They're meant to be scrubby. They're meant to break. They're meant to be lost. They're toys, for God's sake. And I... I, um, That's that's part of it, right? So now, now, I guess I need to look forward to. I can now be the scruffy Luke Skywalker. I can now be the guy who comes in with his beard and that scar tissue from motorcycle accidents years past. Still there. (laughs) And... uh, I, I couldn't help but feel with the with the full run of Mixset after all its beta versions, all things that we've done with it, and the fact that Star Wars is coming out and the Battlefront is coming out, right? <laughs> that this is absolutely the right place to be, the right time to to, to accept my responsibilities and to to say again as um, as I did when I was five, I am a Jedi like my father before me. Press start. <laughs>
0: I'm more excited about Star Wars now than I have been in a long, long time, so I agree. This is a great time. Thank you for sharing the story. Appropriately, this is Star Wars Celebration Weekend, so we all had our own little bit of Anaheim here in Chicago, Illinois. How about that? No? No one's going to buy that? All right. Star Wars Celebration? like, whatever. Anyway, guys, we have two more stories, and we're going to take a, a break at the half. Coming up next, this is the Moth Grand Slam Story Winner from 2014 in Chicago, which is really fucking awesome that she's here. This is Lily B.
7: Life for me, and that does have to be for y'all,
4: mm-hmm.
7: is like an open world game to me. I'm big on the open world gaming. My son and I bond off open world games. You, you know, your, your your GTAs and your Skyrims and your, you know, and your, my favorite, Fallout 3s, you know?
4: Mm-hmm.
7: I think it's because much like life... Your decisions and your actions play out in these games. They they take you either to different paths, or they take you to different missions, or they get you different rewards, different achievements, different trophies. I remember sitting with my son. He's about 10 years old, and he's having problems at school. And it's when I first laid this analogy on him, like real talk. He's having problems with his friends. He doesn't get them. And my response to him is like, fuck them. (laughs) Real talk. Fuck those little kids. Because real talk, you guys are all playing the same level right now. You're 10. They're on level 10. You're all playing the same level. Ain't shit they know that you don't know. (laughs) (laughs) If anything, Xavier, I tell him, I'm your cheat. Code. I'm your cheat guide. I am your <laughs> walkthrough to this thing, this game of life that you're playing. You know, you're not going to learn shit from them. Any shit that they're going to say that you don't already know. But me, your mama, I know. And you can take my walkthrough and, and do it play by play, do it move for move. Or you can take my walkthrough and make it your own. And it got it. He got it. He smiled with his smile, because if you want to struggle, I told him, then you have a baby at 16 like I did.
4: Mm-hmm.
7: You yeah? know? If you want to make life hard, then do that. And he's like, no.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
7: and it's true, because he's 18 now, I'm not a grandmother, so obviously he took it to
4: heart. <laughs> and, that's,
7: and that's how we bonded. Like, we bonded through gaming, him and I. Even now, the only way I know he's alive is because he lights my torch on my singing monster. He doesn't answer my fucking (laughs) call, But when I open that game and I see my torch lit, I know he's okay. I know. That's my baby. And so I should have taken my own damn advice in 2010. You see, 2010 is when I feel life for me, started. In 2010, he had already been out of my house for two years on some skin ass agreement I made with his father when I said, hey, you could take him at 13. And sure enough, like a troll, he was at my door taking my son at 13. And I said, fine, but I was left home alone. And then what I did was I sunk into a depression. I paused my game of life, so to speak. I missed my son. It was the same year that I got rid of my alcoholic abusive ex. And it was the same year that I lost my career, pretty much, in real estate. And so I sunk deep into depression. And unlike the advice I had told my son, which is just like, just keep it moving, just like in your video games. You keep that shit moving, and you try something different. You don't do the same move over and over and over again, thinking shit's gonna be different. You try something different. And I didn't follow that advice. And I should have. And then one day I'm babysitting at in Lyle, and I'm in my funk, no one has seen me for months, my son and I communicate very seldomly, and a friend calls me and says, bitch, you need to get out the fucking house, Let's get out this fucking funk, and you need to come out to Wicker Park, and you need to come to this storytelling show called Grown Funk Stories, yep. and I said, I'll think about it. And just as I said that, the baby that I was nannying threw up all over me. (laughs) I (laughs) had to
4: take my shirt off,
7: put it in the washer. I'm sitting there in her living room with a baby crying baby and a bra, just sitting there like, this is what my life is now. This is the game. This is my game now. This is some bullshit. This is a bullshit-ass game.
4: (laughs) (laughs) And I decided
7: to change it up. (laughs) I get back on the phone. I pick up the phone. I tell Sonia, "Look, Sonia, I will be there. Save me a seat." And I left Lyle, took the metro into town, and went to my first storytelling show just to watch, just like you guys. And unbeknownst to me, this bitch Sonia threw my name in the in the in the bucket. Uh, no. And so when they called Lily, when Cara Verganti called Lily, I looked around for the other Lily. Uh, And from across the room, because I showed up a little late, my girl's like, no, bitch. That's you. (laughs) That's you, Lily. And I was nervous, and I was scared, just like I was nervous and scared, you know, right before the end of Fallout, when you're just like, oh, i got to go through all these fucking robots, and I (laughs) (laughs)
4: was nervous, scared.
7: But I went up, and the first story I told was about my son, because... He's who all this is for. This is what I, this is why I do this. This It's for him. And so I told the story about him putting cash in a girl's book bag. Another story. (laughs) And the rest is history, you guys. I went the following month. I went the month after that. I did this for two years until I found out there were other storytelling shows and then I showed up at the moth and I started to actually own and love this game I'd been playing my whole life. The story of my life and every accomplishment and every trophy and every fucked up move I made that landed me in a fucking dark ass pit and I had to restart was now something I could wear as a badge, wear as an achievement wear as that trophy storytelling saved my life, it saved my life and in turn it saved my son's life all because I decided to do and I just sit there and do nothing.
0: Thank you, Thank you Lily. Really. Yeah, that was great. Uh, the lesson I took from that is that we really need to start putting people on the spot more. Joe Gennaro, come on. Yeah. No, Joe. <laughs> uh, I would like to call member of the Nerdlords to the stage next. So this is Katie Johnson Smith. Yeah.
3: I'm Katie Johnson Smith. Um, I wrote a song, and I'm real lucky that I know Eric and he can write music, otherwise, this song would be weird. <laughs> uh, um, uh, and I keep on writing about how like love is haunting and stuff, and that's because love's real spooky like a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> Cool.
0: Are you yeah. ready to press start on confronting these horrifying
3: things? <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, I made it work.
3: This keeps falling down. I'm yeah, to, it doesn't actually... I'm this gonna, song better be called Love Is a Go. It's not. It's called Mad, because that's what I was when I wrote it.
0: <laughs> I'm actually going to sit. Anymore.
3: I'm. I, oh, yeah, let's sit. That's okay. fine. That's fine. Okay, okay. cool. Better idea. Uh, we're not
0: trying to impress anybody.
3: Uh, nobody's impressed. <laughs> <laughs> What's the tip It's a... Da, 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 da. Cool. Yeah. Thanks. Cool. Mm-hmm. That's not right, is it? No.
0: All right. Sorry. <laughs> Give me the level one more time. It's like... Da, 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 da.
3: Me. she has a hold on us, but baby. Can't you see? And I tried to set us free, but I don't think I can. Your words are thin disguise but where you are, they're spinning lies. I don't wanna be the girl who cries I'm not a man, cause baby I'm the one who wants you, loves to hold your hand. She only wants part of because you 'cause you're someone else's man. Love can turn you crazy. Love. To find love and love, a real same woman, right out of a mind. There's a dark that makes you stew it plagues your thoughts. I wish I knew why she can't let go of you, but I don't think I can. You wanna go back to the start where we were before you hurt my heart, but if I had to do that part, I might come back from you man.
0: More on the Nerdalogs and our shows, please go to www.nerdalogs.com.
5: Thank you all, thank you all. I am Grabbot23548x.